Welcome to the Higher Theories Conspiracy Podcast. I am your host, Jamie, and this is your other host, Katrina. Today's episode, the Chupacabra and the Wendigo. On today's episode, we will discuss the Chupacabra, potential sightings, explanations for the sightings, and then jump into our personal theories on the matter. I will discuss the Wendigo, the recent and past sightings, and of course, wrap it up with our personal theories. The Chupacabra. Some describe this beast as dog-like, some even describe it as lizard-like. One theory is that it's of alien descent. It's described as gray, the size of a bear, with spikes down its spine all the way to its tail, with gleaming red eyes. Sounds like my mother-in-law. Scary. Reminds me of my mom as well. <laughs> Sightings of this monster have been seen as far as north as Maine and as far south as Chile. Sounds like Selkirk in Maine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Another reason to think of my mother. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's so terrible. <laughs> you said mother-in-law. Yeah. That's my mom. <laughs> I know. So we talked about my mom here. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't do the whole like, Selkirk in Maine thing. Carry on. It has even been supposedly seen in countries outside the Americas, as far as the Philippines and Russia. Uh, some explanations for the sightings given have been people actually seeing candids affected by mange. According to biologists, the chubacabra is urban legend. Let's find out. So. This story originates in 1995 in Puerto Rico, where the first sighting of the Chupacabra happened. It was a chilly March in 1995. One morning, a farmer went out to his pasture to find eight of his sheep dead with three puncture wounds in the chest area. And the weirdest part? All animals were completely drained of blood. Authorities attribute the killings to a more conventional predators, but many locals suspected a satanic cult. Can you imagine a satanic cult going around killing cows? Yeah, that would actually be a lot crazy. Satanic cults aren't really that bad, honestly. If you, they more are likely to be at least attacking goats or pigs. And they probably won't just, like, go around attacking random ones. They, like, grab one for their ritual, right? It's exactly. not like they just go around. Honestly, it would more likely be a cat. It would be, like, a cat. It would be a goat. It would be more or less something that would be meaningful to the ritual. Mm -hmm. Not some, some random animal that they would just want to mutilate, you know? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Well, I mean, hey... By August of the same year, 150 reported animal mutilations, with the blood being completely drained, were called into local law enforcement. And by the end of the year, the beast has supposedly drained the blood of over 1,000 animals. So they never really named what type of animals? It was just animals in general? Um... 
for this one, yeah, it didn't really um, name. Oh no, it's found eight sheep. Eight sheep dead. Okay, yeah. It would be like sheep. It would be goat. It would be cats. Mm, chickens. The things that are more ritual to the satanic rituals. If it would be like a satanic or religious type of thing like that. Yeah. So if it were mm. that type of thing, that's the type of stuff that I would look into. A cult would make sense. There are pretty, <laughs> a pretty wide range of cults out there. By 1996, reports of chubacabra attacks were widespread. They began in Miami and later in the Southwest and Mexico. Either the creature had migrated or the stories had become so popular that reports of sightings and copycat attacks were being carried out here, too. This time, the creature looked dog-like, but still reptilian. Whether Chubacabra exists or not, reports of bloodless murdered livestock persists, and to date, no satisfactory predator has ever been caught. Here are some of the interesting reports I found from the past few years. In January 4th, 1996, in Isabella County, Michigan, eight calves, frozen and dead. Two were skinned of their hide from head to hooves. Six were skinned of all their hide from neck to hooves. All were black and white Holsteins and about a week old. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's a lot of animals skinned from their head to their hooves. That actually has a lot to do with the Wendigo. Well, maybe the fucking Wendigo did it. That's what I mean. The Wendigo is actually known as several different names and several different areas. So is it could Goat be Sucker one of them? It could be known as the Chupacabra, it could be known as the Goat Sucker, it could be known as the Skinwalker, it could be known as the Wendigo, it could be known as anything. But the one thing that they want to keep it as is Wendigo. This is the one main name that they want to have it as because they know for a fact that the Wendigo originated from this, from oh. the fucking... 1700s to the 1800s. Well, damn. Are we Maybe we're doing the same story. This is what I mean. That's why when you mentioned that, I was like... Hmm. Well, this, this may be a long episode, or it may be a short episode, depending if they're different. <laughs> uh, so this next sighting I found was uh, in... Northwest Miami? Yeah. Right. Northwest Miami rural area. Yeah, in the Northwest Miami rural area. March 1996. Uh, this animal killed about 40 animals. One woman saw a dog-like figure standing up with two short hands in the air. That's all that that article said that I read. This next sighting was May 2nd, 1996, in Rio Grande Valley, South Texas. A pet goat dead, with three puncture wounds in its neck. A six-year-old goat was found with telltale marks of the chupacabra. What would you do if your pet goat, uh, you know, just you, you woke up one day, you went outside, and your pet goat was kind of three puncture wounds in its neck? 
I would try to get as much help as I could. Obviously, if I had a pet goat, I would know that there is an animal hospital nearby. Just to try and find out what type of puncture wounds that caused it to my goat. Because obviously you want to know what caused this. You want to know what did this to your animal that you were trying to breed. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. obviously you want to know answers from that. And obviously they're going to send out troops to go and investigate all this, so... Yeah, if I was rich, I would have my own, like, pet doctor just come to me. I think that would be cool. May 3rd, 1996. Caldora Village, Sonola, northern Mexico. A giant bat-like creature terrorizes a village. Goats are found daily with their blood sucked dry. Witnesses said today, farmers have formed night vigilante squads. We are telling people to keep the women and children locked up inside at night. Nobody knows really what it is. Dozens of goats have fallen victim to the bloodsucker. It has allegedly attacked one human. March 2017, Olancho, Honduras. I might butcher this, uh, this pronunciation here, but residents of Las Angujas in Olancho, Honduras worried about finding a dead bull without eyes or a tongue. According to La Tribuna, residents saw an ugly white animal prowling the pastures, believed to be El Chubacabra. There have been a few sightings and events since then, but most of the times they are proven to be false positives. Meaning a sick coyote, or even a sick raccoon in Texas once in 2014. Sightings and reports have definitely decreased lately, but hey, maybe the chubacabra has COVID and is in isolation. So that's the story on the chubacabra and recent sightings. Now we will jump into personal theories. My personal theory on the matter? I honestly think that... I don't know, I can't really explain the three puncture wounds. That's definitely kind of tricky, but I definitely think that a lot of um, cases are going to be just coyotes with mange, which is just their fur kind of falling off, right? I don't think that, I don't know, there's, there's never been any, like, nobody's ever caught a chupacabra. There's never been any pictures taken, really, of one. So what, what proves that they exist other than uh, personal, you know, experiences that people have had, right? So for me, I'm going to give the Chubacabra a rating of, I want to say 3 out of 10. I think it's going to be just coyotes with mange. Um, you know, maybe some sick dogs, but I definitely, uh, the chupacabra as it, as the story goes, is just a little too hard for me to believe. I feel like the chupacabra has something to do with the Wendigo. And not only just something, but a lot to do with the Wendigo, because they do have a lot in common. Yeah. 
they do feed off of a lot of uh, human byproducts, like human flesh, human meat, and all that. Yeah, but so, there's only been like one chubacabra attacking a human before, or one. One that we actually know of. There could be multiple. Yeah, I guess if they if it kills you, you can't report it. Yeah. So, <laughs> what we're trying to jump into after this is actually called the Wendigo. And what is a Wendigo, you ask? Well, it is seen as an embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Never satisfied after killing and consuming one person. They are consistently searching for new victims, also believed to be cannibalistic spirits. Sometimes depicted as a creature with a human-like characteristics, which possesses human beings. They are known for their desire to cannibalize other humans, invoke feelings of insatiable, this makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men. Bring it on. I'll take a Wendigo on like this. Nothing. Of course. Like vertebrable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease and glut their appetite. Either seeking fresh prey and the more greedily the more they eat. Although in many recorded cases of Wendigo psychosis, the individual has been killed to prevent cannibalism from resulting, some Cree folklore recommends treatment by ingestion of fatty animal meats or drinking animal grease. <sighs> Those treated by sometimes vomiting ice as part of the curing process. One of the Wait, well, hold on. They vomit ice? Yeah, that's one, actually one of the more processes of them knowing that they're getting rid of this Wendigo from their physical body. What? Ice vomit. That's... Mm -hmm. That's up. One of the more famous cases of the Wendigo psychosis reported involved in Plains Cree Trapper from Alberta named a Swift Runner. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family were starving and the eldest son died. 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at a Hudson Bay's company post, Swift Runner butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children. What? All five? All five. Why? That's okay. That's a lot of people to eat. I'm sure... How would you want to survive if there was nothing left? Oh, I guess. Well, it's just that the whole winter? 25 miles. Given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies that he killed and consumed the remains of those present, it was revealed that Swift Runners was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort to avoid starvation, but rather of a man with Wendigo psychosis. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities of Fort Saskatchewan. Oh, fuck, there you go. See, I was thinking, like, 25 miles. This dude's name was Swift Runner. Mm -hmm. You think he could fucking get 25 miles pretty damn quick? You think that he would swiftly run? No, he didn't swiftly run. No. He swiftly killed. 
Nate. Another well-known case involved a man known as Jack Fiddler, also along his side his brother Joseph. They were also known as the Windigo Hunters. It was said that this man had not one, nor two, but 14 or more reported sightings of Windigos. Jack was known for claiming the ability to kill Windigos. The Europeans knew him as Jack Fiddler, as his people knew him as he who stands in the southern sky. Jack was born in the boreal forest of the Upper and Southern River, near a small community of what is known as Sandy Lake First Nation. He was a well-respected healer and often traveled between communities to ensure the health of multiple people. Often he was sought for more business as he and his brother Pesquan, also known as Joseph Fiddler by the European settlers. They became very well-known shaman for their alleged ability to conjure animals and protect his people from spells. To the people of the region, he could allegedly successfully defeat the Wendigo. So like Harry Potter type shit. Spells? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Leviosa. No, I really like spells, I would say. It's more or less, um... I guess he usually just used, like, herbal plants from the earth. Oh. Prayers. Okay, I see, I see. So, Kinda wish it was more like Harry Potter and all. <laughs> <laughs> in some cases, this entailed killing people with Wendigo psychosis. As a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for homicide. Unfortunately, on September 30th, Jack Fiddler had escaped captivity during a walk outside. Prison break. How unfortunate though, right? <laughs> unfortunate that he escaped? Yeah. It was said that he had hung himself nearby, actually, and was found dead later that day. As for his brother Joseph, he was tried and sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of his pardon. What? Mm -hmm. That's some sketchy shit. Can you imagine that? That's some Epstein type shit. <laughs> <laughs> he got Epstein. Ooh, we should do a, an episode on Epstein. Yeah. We can look into that. In the Lolita Express? In his island? I think, yeah, there's a lot there. Fascination with Wendigo psychosis among Western ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists led to a hotly debated controversy in the 1980s. The debate was over the historicity of this phenomenon. Some researchers argued that essentially Wendigo psychosis was a fabrication, the result of naive anthropologists taking stories related to them at face value without observation. Others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts, both by Algonquians and others, as evidence that Wendigo psychosis was a factual historical phenomenon. The frequency of Wendigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as Boreal Algonquian people came into greater greater contact with European ideologies and more and more sedentary less rural lifestyles the oj boy described it it was a large creature as tall as trees with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth 
Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead. And then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. It's like death tag. <laughs> you gotta like tag the next person. It's kind of like, you know, oh. vampires. Well, oh, yeah, vampires. How that you'd become a vampire mm -hmm. when it bit you. That's dope. I like that. And his 2004 treatise, Revenge of the Windigo, on disorders and treatments of the behavioral health industry in the United States and Canada that are peculiar to indigenous people. James Burgess Wildram wrote, That was a tongue twister. <laughs> no actual cases of Windigo psychosis have ever been studied. And Lou Morano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within the psychiatric annals. You <laughs> <laughs> are just gonna say that. Annals? That's funny that you had to type out annals. <laughs> what annals. does it mean? A That's annals. N A L S. Annals or something like that. A record of, of events year by year. So. <laughs> Wait, go back. Oh, okay, shit, hold on. <laughs> a record of events year by year. Annals. Annals, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's not annals. <laughs> Psychiatric annals. <laughs> you know I'm not editing that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Content, baby. Content. <laughs> and Lou Morano's scathing critique in 1985 should have killed off the cannibal monster within the psychiatric annals. The Wendigo, however, continues to seek revenge for this attempted scholarly execution by periodically duping unsuspecting passerbys like psychiatrists into believing that Wendigo psychosis not only exists, that a psychiatrist could conceivably encounter a patient suffering from this disorder in his or her practice today. Wendigo psychosis may well be the most perfect example of the construction of an aboriginal mental disorder and its persistence dramatically underscores how constructions of the aboriginal by these professions have, like Frankenstein's monster, taken on a life of their own. The tenth revision of the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, also known as ICD, <laughs> classifies Wendigo as a culture-specific disorder, describing it as rare historic accounts of cannibalistic obsession. Symptoms include depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusional, compulsive wish to eat human flesh. Some controversial new studies question the syndrome's legitimacy, claiming cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented to justify the victim's ostracism or execution. That's crazy. That's pretty intense. 
So it sounds like it's not necessarily a completely proven uh, thing that these exist. No, it's more or less like a psychosis uh, disorder. Um, a disorder that can haunt you. Wow. Yeah. That is pretty crazy. It's kind of like also being possessed by a demon itself. Mm -hmm. That kind of just gives you that want of human flesh, you know? And it's kind of the only way that you'd survive off of it. Like, some of those uh, vampire movies, you know, how they have to have, like, human blood in order to look young or stay young. Yeah, yeah. Keep that young image, you know? But in this case, they're more or less just ugly-looking creatures <laughs> with no lips and... Right? No lips, jagged teeth, tall as a tree. That thing would be terrifying. I'd, I'd definitely run in the other direction. His breath was a strange hiss. Footprints full of blood. <laughs> that's just... Oh, that's intense. So what do you think? Do you believe it? Do you believe it exists? I believe me. I think maybe this could just be another theory. So what's your rating on it if you have to rate it out of 10? I'd give it at least a 5. At least a 5? Yeah. I'm a little iffy about it, but hmm. there's a little more I would like to look into on this Windigo as well, but we'll save that for part 2. So that Jack Fiddler dude... Did anybody ever see him kill a Wendigo? Or? Yeah, there were several witnesses. There was a lot of people that were around. Also, family members of the people who had uh, been executed by Jack Fiddler and his brother Joseph. So, yeah, there was a lot of people. That's actually how they got the pardon. Um, was okay. Because a lot of people actually believed that they were helping mm -hmm. and not really killing off people they were helping them trying to cure them and yeah. sometimes it led like obviously you know when you do um an exorcism sometimes it does lead to the person getting very exhausted to the point where they die sure so there's that as well that's crazy because then yeah he did get arrested for homicide yeah and jack didn't want to do time you know he wasn't the type of person he didn't think he was doing anything wrong so obviously yeah. he and then he, the way that they were thinking and looking at him as a murderer, you know, he obviously killed himself. Yeah, hung himself. That's crazy. He unalived himself. Unalived himself. Is that the new word these days? Yeah. Unalived. Well, that's really, uh. It's a really interesting topic. So that's the episode on the Chubacabra and the Wendigo. We want to thank all the people who listen to this podcast. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. If you want to help us out, a quick five-star rating would help us out greatly. Thank you. Goodbye. Signing up. <laughs> <laughs> Not like they're gonna hear me. <laughs> I mean, see me. <laughs>